This podcast hands you the keys to scaling revenue in the SaaS and tech industry fast. Join Mike Williams, CEO of Jetstream Revenue Growth, as he talks with tech and SaaS business leaders who share proven approaches on how to get your revenue to take off. All right, welcome to this episode of the Jetstream podcast. Really excited for the guest we had on today. We were talking with Rob Fraser. He's the founder and CEO of Endure. Uh, you can find them at endureapparel.com. That's E-N-D-U-R apparel.com. There's no E at the end of e, uh, Endure. Uh, Rob is a five-time uh, Canadian national cyclist and uh, is currently an e-commerce entrepreneur, uh, or as I said in the, in the podcast, an Endurepreneur. Uh, and he's grown his business uh, significantly uh, since launching in 2016. Uh, and they they uh, sell these amazing socks. I, they're high, they're really well designed. They're a good quality product. I bought four pairs myself, and I'm loving them. So definitely check them out uh, and and uh, buy them if you fee, uh, see fit. Uh, but one of the things that Rob talked about uh, in his revenue growth journey uh, is that it does take a long time to grow fast, and that you need to be patient. Take your time to build a sustainable business that can grow over time. Don't get caught up in growth hack marketing techniques that only see spike and drops in sales. Commit to the long term and endure over time to grow your business sustainably. And another thing that uh, we, we got into a little bit as well is uh, the, the HubSpot uh, f- talks about the funnel to flywheel. And Rob seems to sort of naturally gravitate towards the flywheel, which means you put your customer at the center and then you market, sell, and delight or, or provide them with a good customer experience over time. And so the journey that Rob is actually taking on that his customers on is from awareness to uh, interest, desire, action, where they're actually purchasing the product, and then takes them right through to becoming advocates or ambassadors for his brand. So in that case, if you're acquiring a customer, you know, maybe it costs you $100 to acquire a customer, they don't just turn into one customer, they might turn into five or 10, because you're really maximizing your uh, word of mouth through digital marketing. So I really love what Rob had to say about that. Uh, and his quote was, don't optimize for the sale, optimize for the customer and lifetime value. Think about the long term. So what Rob has done basically from the start, once he figured out his product market fit is build a brand, build brand advocates, build brand ambassadors and grow and scale your business at the right pace without doing damage to it. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Like I said, check them out at enduraparel.com and follow them on Instagram as well at enduraparel. Check out the podcast, have a good listen and pick up on these great tips that Rob is dropping today. All right, welcome to another episode of the Jetstream podcast. I'm really excited to have our guest with, with us here today. We've got Rob Fraser. He's the founder and CEO of Endure. And I'm really, really excited to talk to, uh, talk to Rob and talk about his story with Endure Apparel uh, and how he's grown that business and how he uh, dealt with revenue growth throughout the company's history. Uh, a little bit about Rob. He's a former five-time Canadian national cyclist. And he's a current e-commerce entrepreneur building and scaling Endure into an eight-figure business. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, so if we could just start, uh, tell us a little bit about Endure, uh, what you do, uh, and how that uh, all got started. Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, my past life, I call it, I was a competitive cyclist five times on the Canadian national team. 
Uh, I race downhill. So for people that don't know, it's kind of the uh, downhill ski equivalent, but on a mountain bike, uh, time trial style, top to top to bottom, um, as fast as you can go. So you're not really technically racing anyone but the clock. Um, person with the fastest time wins. Um, gave my parents a heart attack for the better part of 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, and then on the back of that, it's a young guy's sport. I was doing quite well, um, but there wasn't a lot of money or longevity in it for me. So I was like kind of thinking about the next chapter and um, decided to kind of try try my hand at the business side of sports. So I was like, okay, I looked up to brands like Red Bull, Lululemon and other athletic brands. I was like, seems like there's a pretty cool, unique white space to create an athletic brand that talked more about the journey and not the end destination. And for me, starting an apparel brand with not a lot of business experience or money. I was like, okay, socks might be a good place to start because they're relatively uh, low cost to source and not super technical. I mean, they're, they can get very technical as we can talk about, but obviously not as technical as t-shirts and just sizing and cut and sew and patterns and everything with apparel. Um, and I just love socks. When I was cycling, I actually had a, a sock sponsor, funny enough. So I kind of understood and got to know the business model a bit um, from that aspect and, and realized a lot of inefficiencies in the way a lot of the other brands were, were operating. Um, and this is back around 2016 as well. So D2C and e-commerce was really starting to get some legs. And um, I figured that there's a really unique opportunity to be a kind of Canadian performance sock brand. Um, so that was the idea from there we've just kind of scaled the brand over the past uh, four years relatively bootstrapped so a lot of kind of unique uh, marketing techniques we've used that we can get into but uh, current day we're a team of 13 people in Victoria Canada all sold direct to consumer online throughout North America um, and we coin it kind of performance socks for expression so what make our socks exciting is they're great technical um, great for you know cycling, running, training, work, school, whatever you want. We kind of think like the yoga pant of your foot. Um, and then there's the expressive element of it where we, we view socks as the greatest opportunity to kind of highlight and showcase your individuality. Um, and so that's kind of what we wanted to go for is carve out this little niche of people that want a performance product, but wanted to, um, you know, just showcase their unique personality uh, at the same time. Yeah, really, really cool. And it's, you know, we, you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but the, the brand really resonates with, with me and, and that idea of performance and individuality. And it actually makes me think back to when I played basketball in high school, I wanted something to make me stand out and uh, everyone pushed their socks down at the time. And so I pulled my socks up. So I had those white tube socks and they were pulled all the way up my calves, but it was a sign of expression. I didn't really realize that uh, at the time you know, but fast forward to, you know, now, and, you know, I love to wear funky, cool socks because they are an expression. And I do consider myself uh, a retired athlete. <laughs> you know, I don't really participate in a lot of sports, but I run and I cycle and I work out and I try to stay fit. And we, we talked about this before as well as I, I wear shorts a lot and I like to express myself through my socks because you can see them all year round because we live in a place where you can do that. So the brand really resonates with me. And Makes me wonder a little bit about the name and the history uh, of that, because that word endure uh, resonates with me as well. Can you kind of unpack the meaning behind uh, the name? Yeah. So when I first got it, got started, um, I didn't quite know at the time I wanted to like where I wanted to go with the product category. So socks came to be a little later on in the journey, but what I did know I wanted to do is create a brand. I think first and foremost, I knew I wanted to create a, a community and kind of a culture around what I was going through at the time, this transitioning athlete, kind of trying to figure out what was next. Mm -hmm. um, so what came to me was endure was this cool concept of you just keep moving forward without giving up, you know, anything as possible. Um, so I wanted to build the brand around that key thesis and that key idea of 
how can we inspire people that no matter kind of their circumstances, if they're willing to kind of put in the work and persevere, their wildest dreams are not that far out of touch. Um, and that is highlighting, you know, the person that has a full-time job and kids that still finds time to go running just for their health and mental health and, and well-being. That's the athlete on the way up to the, their, 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 you know, drive to get to the top of the podium um, and anyone in between. So that was the main idea was kind of, I kind of understood from my athlete background how to market myself. Um, and so I was just pulling on my own kind of like, what do I know how to do right out of the gate of business? Like I know how to kind of brand something and market something. So that was what I really focused on. Um, and that's where the name came to be. And from there, I wanted to find individuals that, you know, were attached, could attach to that kind of brand and, and started creating a brand ambassador network to kind of spread that message. So that was kind of the genesis of everything. And the product category was the secondary aspect to the brand. Yeah. And I think that that endure, uh, you know, the word really translates well to business, because I think in a lot of ways to succeed as an entrepreneur, you just have to continue to endure over time. Uh, and it does make me uh, think of, you know, this just came to my head uh, as a dad, I like dad jokes, but you're, you're an endurepreneur, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it, but it relates because I'm an entrepreneur myself and, uh, you know, also can consider myself an athlete, even though I don't really perform, but you're, you're right, you know, like over time, you get those results and you grow your business the same you would as an athlete, you, you know, grow your skill, you grow your strength. Uh, and, but if you don't do it over time, you're not going to get those results. So it's a really uh, a relative metaphor. And so, you know, that brings me to talk a little bit about revenue growth. Uh, you know, what are some of the things you've learned about growing revenue uh, from basically zero to where you're at uh, today uh, throughout this journey? What, what have you learned about revenue growth? If I had to put it into a word, like a catch-all, I would say patience. Um, there's no quick way. I think if you get revenue quickly, it's often not repeatable. Um, so you want to be weary of spikes in revenue. So mm. I'd say like, you know, if you look at Amazon as an example, they grew at 20% year over year for like 20 years. You know what I mean? So the compounding effect of that growth is just enormous over time. But a 20% growth rate it's not very exciting, you know, in your first couple of years. However, you just got to stay in the game long enough. There's the other kind of saying that, you know, the half-life of a business is how fast it grows. So like it, you die twice as fast as you grow. So mm. the longer you can kind of be patient and grow over time, um, I think you have a, like a more longevity because you're focusing on the value of the brand and that essence. You're focused on creating um, repeatable marketing strategies, a community, a customer base, retention, um, and, and just everything to do with creating a strong established brand. Um, so what we did in the early days, I kind of alluded to it a bit was the brand ambassador aspect. So, um, that was kind of our first go was find people like-minded that attached to the brand values of what we were doing, incentivize them, put the product on them and have them start talking about it. So right there, it creates somewhat of a, a natural, organic and authentic viral marketing strategy. It could be almost referral. Um, in that sense. And that was kind of our first go-to for getting the word out there and, and generating sales. Um, from there, it was really just about developing an online presence. There's so many tools at your, at your disposal, like organic Instagram and Facebook to kind of like being a visual product as well and storytelling. Um, obviously social media is really great for us. We didn't actually start paying to acquire until about two or three years in. So, um, and that was just by the benefit of not really having the skill set or the budget to do so. 
Um, so in those first, it, it took us like, and I'm, I'm generally quite open about our numbers. It took us about two years to hit um, a million dollars in revenue. Um, but in the following two years, we 5X that. So it took a long time to kind of break that seven figure mark. But once we figured it out, the customer, state, the customer base started to grow. Um, we were able to kind of pull on more levers that we were creating. That's when the growth really started to happen. And I think if you focus to loop way back to my initial point of patience, if you focus on the early days of trying to grow your revenue quick, you're going to fall um, victim to maybe flash sales, discounts on products, non-repeatable marketing cycles. So those things get exhausted. And then where do you go? Where do you go to, to generate your sales, right? So we focused on building our email list. We focused on building our organic social following. We focused on building our Facebook brand ambassadors, our VIP Facebook groups. And, and by building those, we're building community. And we're building a, a, a group of people that we can talk to continually throughout the future. Um, and ultimately, the name of the game is, is not just generating revenue, but repeatable revenue and almost predictable revenue. Um, so that's always been the goal. Um, and as we look to today, we are now using a, a way more in-depth uh, kind of acquisition strategy across many platforms, you know, encompassing obviously performance and organic marketing, referral ambassadors, um, and, you know, everything under the sun for the most part. But um, it takes a while. It wasn't until like we're in our fifth year now, we're only really refining all of that. So I, I'll just kind of highlight again that when it comes to revenue, I think patience is your biggest virtue because like it doesn't all come at once, but you know, I always just think back to a quote of like, it takes a long time to grow fast, you know? So like, if you just focus, and I, I said this before in, in previous kind of podcasts is that um, if you have patience and enough money to invest in your idea and grow and kind of weather the storm, you can't be beat because I mean, ultimately you'll stick around. And I think a lot of businesses I know when I started in 2016, you kind of immediately are thrusted into a cohort of other people starting and founding businesses at the same time. And so you see all these other founders starting their brands. And what I can tell you is almost none, if any of them are still in business today. Mm. Um, maybe one, maybe one. And that's, I'll give a shout out to them. They're Casca out of, uh, out of Vancouver, great shoes. Um, but other than that, there's, you'll find yourself there, you're like in that little world of all these other founders and I don't, I can't point to any of them um, to current day just because, you know, they might have either raised money and uh, their egos were too big or, or whatever, and they just didn't really focus on the long term. Um, so, yeah, to, to wrap up a really long winded point, patience and, and, uh, and just learning as you go. I mean, it doesn't, you won't have it all figured out in the early days and, and things will become more obvious as you get further along. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you made me think of, I recently read Rand Fishkin's book. I don't know if you're familiar with Rand Fishkin of Moz, uh, but he talked about the, you know, warning against like growth hacking and, and these spikes in sales because they might lead to, you know, large churn or like customers that, that leave and then you won't ever create that, um, that predictable revenue, which you talked about, which probably helps you sleep uh, at night when you, when you know a little bit about what's coming up and what you've done to really build a brand for the, uh, the long term, uh, which also makes me think a lot about uh, HubSpot's flywheel, right? They talk about shifting from the funnel, which ends, right? We work on work users through the funnel from awareness to conversion, and then we stop and then we go back to the top. We try to keep working people through. But what you're talking about is creating like advocacy. So taking a customer from awareness you know, interest, desire, action, becoming a customer, and then, you know, 
delighting them as HubSpot talks about to the point where they start to talk about you. So you may have acquired a customer for, you know, say you acquired them for a hundred dollars, that hundred dollars might turn into 10 customers that then, you know, 10 X, you know, that original uh, cost per acquisition. So are, are those familiar? Uh, is that a familiar thing to you, the HubSpot flywheel? Yeah, no, exactly. I'm happy you kind of like touched on that. Like maybe not exactly referencing HubSpot flywheel, but what we do is, um, try and unite our, our, I have a really specific example around this. So we have a a Facebook community for our VIP customers. And these are just really um, people that have made multiple purchases with us and they opt into this group and they wanna, um, we wanna give them a space to talk with each other. And what's been really cool is to see how they talk about our product. And they're basically, without us having to go in and say anything, they're amping each other up saying, oh, I have 70 pairs, how many do you have? Or what's your favorite design? Or, you know, who's on the subscription? Can you tell me more about it? And it's it's, I love to hop on there almost every day and read through because they're selling for us. And I'm like, this is insane. Like we're not telling these people to, to post multiple times per day, like inspiring right. others to join our subscription or to buy the newest model. And they'll tell each other's like, for example, we restocked on a, a design that, that was very popular and we sold out for a bit and we didn't even have to make an announcement. Someone beat us to it saying, hey, they're back in stock. It's like, well, cool. They're like marketing for us, right? Um, and that's just really cool to see. And that's that whole flywheel aspect. It's like, how, how can we get as many of our customers shouting from the mountaintops as possible? Um, and there's a second side to that coin, obviously, is how do you do your best to not have them shouting the wrong message from the mountaintops? Because there's also the age old kind of the uh, um, saying that, you know, for every good thing you do, you'll have one or two customers that talk good. But every bad thing, there's 11, I believe is the stat. So that talk, you know, that tell 11 people that they're not happy. Um, so the microphone is turned up quite a bit louder on people that are not happy with their experience. So we're doing a lot of work on the back end there too, of just looping in customer experience and dealing with our operations. We've always leaned into our operations here and how we deal with the customers are maybe not that happy and the policies in place. Cause in the end of the day as well, I'm sure you know this in the marketing world, like you want like, if you're going to acquire a customer, you want to keep that customer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like, you, like you're already paying to, to, to acquire them while you're, by losing customers, you're just, it's a, it's not a good, good strategy. So uh, we do what we can to, to reta- retain our customers as well. But um, yeah, I totally agree. I think being able to del- delight the customer and have them talk about your product, and we call it like the organic virality. And that's the whole strategy from the beginning with the brand ambassadors, the VIP community, uh, the different partnerships we do with, with co-branding, just to get people talking about what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think a little bit about that brand. Like if, if you didn't spend the time to build the brand and then the customer started to talk and do what they want, they wouldn't really understand the brand. So if you don't have a strong enough brand, when it goes out to the advocates, that brand could get lost, right? Cause you're kind of entrusting in the people that, Hey, you know, this is the brand, these are the brand values. We want to speak about it in these voice and this voice and tone. Uh, and you've got to build a strong enough brand that they know how to live that and, uh, exude that in, in marketing channels if they're going to promote for you. So is that something you that you cautiously manage? Because you kind of want it to become its own thing, but not become unruly, right? Out in the world, once once you entrust your brand in, in advocates and ambassadors. Yeah, no, I think that's another really great point. I think what you can do as a leader of kind of the brand is put the non-negotiables out there. Here's what we stand for. Here's our mission, our vision. Here's our values. But beyond that, you're going to want to let, if you're going to build a community driven brand or something that people really attach themselves to, you want to listen. Um, so we talk a lot about North Stars, really setting that 
the really big idea of what we're going after and then allowing our community to kind of help us point the ship in whichever direction we're going. Obviously, as we grow, the ship grows and it becomes a little harder to change directions. But in the early days, um, I did a lot of listening. Um, and that's kind of the designs they want, the style of socks they want, the brand messaging they attach to, um, all of that. And so I've always had a really direct relationship and still do. I'm still the primary person that hops into the uh, VIP and ambassador Facebook groups and stirs things up and asks questions. And, you know, like I love having that pulse and I feel like what's more value that I can derive from anything else here is talking to our customers and talking to the people that love and show from the mountaintops. You know what I mean? Like, why are you here? You know, why do you, why do you love what we're doing? It's just something I always like ask myself because it's incredibly, I remember back, in 2016, you know, only people wearing injure socks where I knew them personally, you know, what right. I mean? and I remember the first moment I, I traveled, I'm originally from Ontario, living in BC, and I um, traveled back to Ontario, and I saw someone I didn't know, riding a road bike, and they had injure socks on, and I was just like, that is the coolest thing <laughs> I've ever seen, I remember exactly, like, what they looked like, the colors of these purple knit socks we used to have, purple, pink, and uh, in Milton, Ontario, on the way to the velodrome, I was like, wow, um and then now it happens all the time right and i try to like savor those moments um um and just appreciate that those people went out of their way spent the money that they earned on our product and now they're talking about it and saying words like i love this product you know so like i try to not um let those moments uh go to waste i try to really appreciate them and still find them really special yeah that, that's really cool and and you know uh really makes me think of, of one other point that you had here about optimizing for the customer and lifetime value versus the sale, which again comes back to that, like the funnel versus the flywheel, right? You're not just trying to get the sale, you're trying to get the customer. Uh, how, do you, how do you manage lifetime value? Uh, and is there anything you've done specifically to increase that uh, over the years? Yeah, I mean, we've only really been getting like quite into the weeds on that sort of thing this year uh, until then i've my number one focus has always just been listening to the customer building the brand making the best product possible and by doing those things by default generally things like your average order value and lifetime value increase um, but at some point i need to get a little more professional and dig into the numbers a bit and so things we've done i mean to increase lifetime value, you can do a few things, obviously, like you want to increase your repeat purchase rate. So just like you want, obviously, that person that makes the first purchase to come back. So, you know, by definition, now they're worth more to you. Um, but in addition to them just repeating again, you want them to spend more each time. So what are some accessory products or add-on products that we can do on the site? One, one I can give you right now, which has been super successful, is we introduced a mystery pair. Um, mm -hmm. So that's an easy add-on at the cart or post-purchase. So if you've already spent 50 bucks on socks, you know, what is it to add a $10 mystery pair to your order? And it, it adds not only an extra pair, which is great, it, a level of excitement for 10 bucks. It's like the surprise alone is worth $10, you know what I mean? And it's like, you, you spend that on like a Frappuccino anyway, so who cares? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's, it's, it's 10 bucks, they're gonna last a long time, they're gonna be amazing, and it's this crazy good surprise, but, we have a relatively low cost item. So $10 increase right. to the AOV is enormous, right? Like that's right. a huge increase. Um, so that's a really kind of interesting thing we've, we've done and implemented. Um, but beyond that, if we're talking strictly acquisition where things like our average order value and lifetime value become numbers that we want to watch closely, 
we're generally looking on kind of a, a 60 day window of trying to see if they come back and repurchase. Cause the cool thing about our business as well is that because of the expressive element, people are not coming back to purchase just because the socks have worn out. They're coming back because of the new designs and there's new yeah. ways to express themselves. So there is a, there's an opportunity to increase the frequency of purchase quite often. Whereas maybe someone only needs a few pairs of Lululemon tights per year because you know, the quality is there and they just want black and maybe a hunter green. Um, but for us, we have people that literally collect the designs. You know what I mean? Like no one in their right mind is actually wearing a hundred pairs of socks throughout, you know, the week. They just, they just have them or they'll be on the subscription because they just don't want to miss out because, you know, you can't buy that pair. I mean, you can, it's, but it, you know, we have very finite amount available and they sell out almost instantly. So by being subscribed, you're guaranteed access to the subscription pair. So um, there's just kind of lots of different things we're trying and implementing, but uh, yeah, we, uh, I think ultimately, especially in the early days where you don't maybe have the data or you can't calculate LTV um, that easily um, because you do need a timeline there. I would just focus on delighting the customer and creating the best product possible. Because if you do that, they're happy and they like the product, they're going to come back, which is going to increase their lifetime value. Right. So, I mean, it's easy, I think as a young entrepreneur and even myself to kind of like really get into the weeds on these numbers and almost demotivate yourself or feel bogged down. But in the end of the day, if you take it right back and think, well, what is increasing lifetime value? It's just literally making them happy and want to come buy more. If you focus as that as your lens, you can start to think creatively on how to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, a great answer. Uh, it made me think a little bit about, uh, you talked about the early days. Uh, how did you figure out product market fit? And what did some of those early products, maybe even some of the misses, what did they look like? Or, or what do you feel like was wrong with them? Yeah, I think in the early days, um, look, I, I knew that initially the product market fit was we could offer something of similar or better quality than what existed at a better price by going direct to consumer. So immediately, I already knew there was a desire for the product. We had competitors that had proven the model. So this wasn't anything new. We weren't reinventing the wheel per se. We had a slightly different approach on the quality of the product and the fit and kind of use case of it, but we weren't reinventing the wheel. We were kind of entering a a defined market with a better business model and distribution strategy. so we kind of were able to find that early on and figure out the perfect price point while you know still optimizing for margins and our, our acquisition costs and all of that. But um, from there, it was really figuring out, and it still is, you know, what designs speak to people. What are the the color gradients that work? The amount of white space on the sock, the amount of contrast in the design. There's a lot of things that we now know and consider every time you see a design, and they don't always do well. Um, but we're learning. I think. In the end of the day, one of the biggest learnings was creating an emotional response with the design, realizing that people were buying the designs they were because it reminded them of something or motivated them about something or made them laugh, made them smile. Um, So that's something that we definitely consider every time we go through a design cycle. And I was like, what's the feeling they're going to get? Like personally, I have a pair of socks with rockets on them. I talk about this often. And like, those are my socks I put on for you know, important meetings or presentations because they, to me, represent, you know, go into the stars, go into the moon and, you know, what's more inspiring than like going to space, you know? So um, we aim to give people that same feeling. And I know of a person that's told me like they have a pair of our floral socks and those are the ones they wear when they go do DJ gigs, you know, because it's their lucky mm. pair. So it's about creating that aha moment for people. Um, and I think if you can do that, you know, like product market fit is ultimately filling 
the desire and the need someone has, solving a problem, making them feel better about themselves, inspiring them to take action. So uh, we've found some unique ways that I've just talked about to kind of evoke that emotional response with our socks. And that's, that's the magic. Yeah. Awesome. I, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting to sort of find that product market fit and, you know, how long that can take. And I guess it's ever evolving, right? It's not like it ever stops. And you're like, okay, well, the product is done, especially when you're creating new socks all the time. Yeah. And I'll talk, you asked about misses too. We, um, in, in year two, we thought like, well, you know, we're doing socks. What's the other, other part of hosiery, you know, underwear. Um, we're like, well, let's replicate the model. But what we found was there's a different buying psychology with underwear. Um, people didn't care as much about the prints. It was way more about the quality fit feel. Uh, the, the buying frequency was much less. The price sensitivity was much higher. It was just a way different animal. Um, and so by just trying to apply what we had learned via product market fit on our socks did not work for, for underwear. Mm. And that would probably be an easy thing or easy kind of um, thing to believe as a, a young entrepreneur that, you know, what got us here will get us there, but it's obviously not the case, um, especially with extended product categories. Um, so, and it was just too early. Our base wasn't big enough to even just take focus off our socks at the time. So that was definitely a miss. I mean, it did well, um, but just not to the extent that like it, it was worth the amount of time it was taking and, and it, money and supply chain and all that stuff. It was a great experience, but that was definitely a miss where it just didn't take off. Like we thought, we thought another thing we thought people would want was matching their socks and their underwear. Right. Um, and it, and everyone smiles at the idea. We had a cute name. We called it socks and jocks. And um, the idea is good, but in the end of the day, what I can tell you, the data says people don't care. They right. didn't care. Um, maybe they do today and maybe we got it wrong, but, at the, you know, um, and that's the other thing is like taking what people say with a grain of salt too, because if we survey people, I could tell them, well, would you like matching socks and underwear? They're going to say, yeah, but if you ask them to put some money down on it, they're probably going to say no. And I ask people all the time, like, what do we want more of our socks? And they'll say more designs, higher X, Y, and Z. But what I can tell you is our best selling sock during black Friday last year was our black ankle socks. <laughs> so, so, I mean, like it doesn't get any more boring than that. Right. So, um, yeah, you got to kind of take what people say, consider it, but also go with your gut and go with the data and, and do more of what's working. Yeah. And I, I've heard, you know, it's really important to listen to your customer, but more important, maybe to watch what they do. Right. Cause they'll say things. If you ask them things, they'll tell you stuff, but what do they actually do? Uh, now you mentioned, uh, what got us here won't get us there. Uh, you know, and you and I are both part of a, a clubhouse uh, room where we talk about growing seven-figure companies. Uh, how did you go from seven to eight figures? Because you know, zero to you know, getting to seven or somewhere near that is one thing. But how did you scale uh, to that eighth figure? So we're not at eight yet. On our way to eight. So I can talk to you about what we're doing to get there. Um, yeah, like I said, the first milestone is getting that, like, hitting that seven-figure mark, and maybe you do that. In, in a fiscal year, maybe you don't, but then you want to repeat that within a 12 month cycle. And then you want to get to, you know, two, five million. But then that next leap is quite gnarly. Like I think up to, you know, I could probably wake up tomorrow and spin something else up with what I know to seven figures now. Like I think like that's a, a repeatable model. Around two to three million is where you really need to start getting dialed in with your processes, your systems, your ability to deal with the customer service inquests, the supply chain needs, the, the stress on the system. It's, it's really where that four person little um, kind of scrappy team 
needs to expand and you need to have man, like management, you need to have roles to help you, especially in our industry. I mean, if maybe there's less moving parts like software or something, maybe you can stay, you know, a little scrappier, but there's a lot of complexities to what we do and a lot of different moving parts like fulfillment. We still manage that all in house and all of our own customer service and operations and marketing and design and product is all done in house. So as you can imagine, there's a lot, lot going on at once. Um, but yeah, what got us there doesn't get us here right now. It's just about building processes and systems to manage the scale, to make sure that we're keeping enough inventory and we're de-risking supply chain globally making sure that we can always get enough product, innovate product, extend our product lines. Like I talked about getting more into the weeds on just customer acquisition in general, figure out new markets to enter, expanding current markets. I mean, the list goes on, right? It's just doing way more of what you know you need to be doing but at the same time having the systems and people in place to not lose focus on the core um so it's it's not necessarily one two or three things you do to go from seven to eight it's just doing so much more of everything at the same time so it requires just hiring and capital and you know like we talked about like diversifying your marketing efforts putting you know little bits into so many different buckets across the place focusing on retention partnerships and Oh man, I mean, I could talk, I could, we could do a whole podcast on just our, our social media partnership strategy, right? And that's right. just like one of 250 things we do, right? So like, and that's kind of the level of granularity you need to start unpacking and, and building processes around to just even get to that eight figure point. I mean, could we get there this calendar year? Yes, but we would do it at the expense of building the proper infrastructure and we would be doing exactly what I said, we don't want to do revenue spikes. Like I guarantee if we wanted to go all out, we could do a Black Friday-esque sale next month and hit that number. Like we mm -hmm. could do it, but we would exhaust every lever we have in the business, <laughs> you know, for a long time. And it would probably be a death blow. You know what I mean? So it's just like, right. it's about just building the infrastructure and the platform to get to that eight figure and then sustain it. And then use that as a, a leap, like a jumping board to get to that 15, 25 million. Um, so it's that balancing act, like I said earlier, of just not just getting there, but making sure you're building the right infrastructure to support it when you do get there. Yeah. I think that's really important. You don't want to create something that's going to cave in on itself. If it starts to grow or go too fast, uh, I think, you know, growing sustainably, uh, makes a ton of sense. So, uh, well, well, Rob, I mean, it's been amazing to, to chat with you. Uh, I love everything uh, that you've been sharing with us. Uh, where can people buy the socks, check them out. And, you know, for my own recommendation, I highly recommend them. I, uh, checked them out recently, loved a bunch of designs, bought four pairs. I, I know I'll be back. I gotta be careful when I see those ads and Instagram posts that I don't just go and buy a bunch of pairs. They are really great and they're great socks. I highly recommend them. Where can people get them? Yeah, I just online. So endure, no E, so E-N-D-U-R apparel spelt normally, uh, .com. So endureapparel.com or just Google endure socks. You'll find us, um, sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a, a welcome email with a discount code in there. So that's great. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just check us out there get a couple of pairs. If you want to like test us out, try the mystery pair. So you discount on the mystery pair. That. It's quite, quite inexpensive. Um, and yeah, just try the product out and I'm, I'm almost guaranteed you'll fall in love with it. And if you don't shoot us an email and tell us why not so we can learn and improve. Um, and then if anyone wants to connect with me, I try to make myself quite available. LinkedIn's probably the best best place to, to connect and find uh, where else I'm active on Twitter or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's been great uh, chatting with you and I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, th thanks so much for being here and I uh, wish you all the luck in, in scaling to eight uh, sustainably.
Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Jetstream podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you have a revenue growth story to share, email us, info at jetstream.agency. We might have you on the show.